What a beautiful celebration of Christmas and New Year's and the Lord. And so I'm very thankful to be here. And to be honest, I and we are still celebrating Christmas. Now, not to take away from New Year's, and several have said Happy New Year, and I'm in favor of that. Happy New Year, a joyful New Year in the Lord. That is the main thing that we want to look at. And I want to explain a couple of things to you as we move on here. Now, I'm not quite through listening to good music and singing good music, so we're going to get back to that in just a moment. But I need to tell you how and why this particular sermon and emphasis came up. And I'm going to blame it on that lady sitting right there. Or give her credit is what I should say. We love Christmas and we've had a wonderful Christmas and I trust that you have too. And as I've already said, the Christmas season still continues in our music and our worship and our spirit. And last week we had a wonderful Sunday, Christmas Eve day, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. I was just so very thankful. The place was packed, two services and the Lord was here in every form and fashion. And we were just so thankful for the music and the prayers and the words and the communion and all that we shared. But in the midst of it, Mick and I were talking afterwards and we were celebrating the goodness of the day. But she said, you know, one thing I've missed. And I thought, oh boy, here it comes. <laughs> and she said, I've missed singing I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And I said, I have missed that too. Because for some reason, that is just a very, very special and favorite Christmas hymn or Christmas carol for many people, and it certainly is for us. And so I appreciated Mickey bringing that up. And so as I thought about it and I prayed about it and as I thought about coming to this day, I thought, well, we're just going to extend Christmas a little bit. We're going to continue to celebrate, and we're going to emphasize here in the bells on Christmas Day. And I want to tell you a little bit of the background of that beautiful song. It was written in, on Christmas Day in 1863. The poem, the lyrics, the words of it were written by a well-known name, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Now, in 1863, what was going on? The Civil War. Good historians here. And yes, the Longfellow family was embroiled in the midst of that. And unfortunately, just about two years before this all happened that I'm about to tell you, the mother, the wife of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the wife, the mother of their six children, had died tragically in a fire. She, her dress had caught on fire in their home, and her husband, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, had attempted to put it out with a rug and then even with his own body, trying to squelch the flames on this lady. But unfortunately, her injuries were terrible, and she died the very next morning. And he was burned severely where he had some time to recover. And then he was stricken with amazing grief over the loss of his wife. Now that happened two years before all of this next part because 
Then the war is raging, and they had a, their oldest son was named Charles, or Charlie, and he was 18 years old, and he sort of disappeared one time. They didn't know where he'd gone, but found out later that he had caught a train from up in Massachusetts, ridden down to Washington, D.C., and joined the Union Army to fight, to go to war there in the Civil War. And so now Charlie is away at war. He gets sick. He has to come home for a while. He recovers. He goes back to the war. And then his father, uh, Henry Ward Wadsworth Longfellow. I'm going to get tired of saying that. That's a long... I'm just going to call him Henry, okay? <laughs> but Henry found out, unfortunately, that Charlie, his now about 18 or 19-year-old son, had been injured in in the war and he got a terrible report that maybe paralysis was a part of his injury and so Henry and another of his children went to meet Charlie as he was recovering and still got somewhat of a difficult report and was wrapped up in still some of the grief over his wife dying two years prior and now this terrible war that is going on and now he's concerned about Charlie, his young adult son, who may be paralyzed. Now, fortunately, as I read the story and understand it, Charlie was not paralyzed. Uh, the, the recovery took place. But still, we are emphasizing the fact that Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was wrapped up in all of this tragedy and war and family loss and family difficulty, and on Christmas Day, 1863, he, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, heard the bells chiming from his church up in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he sat down and wrote this poem that is the foundation for this beautiful Christmas song that we have. And part of it was a, a statement of despondency and despair because there was so much tragedy going on and that he was hurting over all of the loss and all of the tragedy. But then the ultimate aspect of it is the celebration of God's goodness and God being in charge and the redemption and the trust that we can have in Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. And so... This song, and we're about to sing it as a congregation, and then I'll share some more thoughts about it after we sing this beautiful song. But we need to focus on the fact that it is a difficult time. This world is a difficult place, and I'm going to have to say some things about that after we sing this beautiful song. But always, always, we say it with the absolute fact that we trust the Lord, we know that he's in charge, we know that he is good, and that he is going to watch over all of us, all of his people, and the end result is a thing of beauty, not a thing of tragedy. So let's stand and sing, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And again, I'm very thankful for that song. And I am pleased that we're here to celebrate this word peace 
Now, once again, I am sitting before you to talk to you about peace like I haven't ever done that before. Seems like that's the main theme that I keep coming back around to and around to and around to. So I wonder why. I hope you realize that I don't plan out all my sermons. (laughs) By that I mean I don't come up with a series that's going to last for 8 or 10 or 12 weeks. And I'm okay with that if that happens. But like I said, I'm thankful that Mickey shared her thoughts about this beautiful song that we just sang. And in it, the ultimate theme is peace on earth, goodwill to men. And I am totally in favor of peace. And so I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons of why I think the Lord keeps bringing me back to that in front of you folks. Now, I get a sense that there is a great deal of peace in our congregation. I get a sense that there's a great deal of trust and dependency on the Lord. So, not that I am questioning any of that, but I also know, and this is one of the reasons that I'm here, I believe, for sharing this, I know that anxiety and difficulty and fears and all that we go through, I know that's a real part of our lives. And I know beyond that that God's peace And I want you to listen carefully to this next sentence. God's peace is the only ultimate answer to the anxiety and the struggles that we have in our life. Now, I know you have them. I have them. We all have them. It's just a part of the human condition. We're sinful and we live in a terrible, terrible broken world. And that brings me to the second reason why I think that the Lord continues to bring me back to talking to you about peace. It's because this world is a mess. And I wish it were not. And I know one day it will not be because of the Lord's return and the Lord's goodness. But right now, I'm going to have to talk to you some this morning about the mess. Now, I struggle with this because we've just, we, and we still are in the midst of a wonderful time of celebration and celebration of Jesus Christ and Christmas and gift giving and receiving and family and love and all that we do. And I'm so much in favor of that. And I want it to continue in your life and in your family and in our church family. Yes. But in the midst of it, I do not want for myself or for you and me for us to be deaf or blind to the things that are going on in this world. Now, I'm not saying that you and I are going to be able to change it immediately like that. But we must be aware. We must be thinking. We must keep our eyes open and we must pray and pray, and pray, and pray, and pray. And then, based on whatever the Lord puts in front of you and me, 
to do and do and do and do, then we must do. And so that's the theme. And even as we look at a new year, and I'm not big on New Year's, I'll have to admit I love Christmas, and then after Christmas is over, I just want to continue celebrating Christmas. Now, not to, again, not to take away from New Year's, but the fact is, is that we are Christian people that are to do and to serve and to pray and to seek the Lord every day, every year, all the time. And so, I want to take a moment and just reflect on some things that are not pretty. In fact, some of them are very, very, very ugly and tragic. Now, I want to remind you that as I spoke about Henry Wadsworth Longfellow and the Civil War, if you want to go back there, that's one of the most tragic things that this country has ever experienced. And I think you would agree with that. And I don't have any particular side that I want to declare I just want to declare the fact that it was tragic and the fact is is that we need to seek the Lord and be unified. But the things that are going on even right now reflect what he said in the third verse of that song we just said because he said, And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said. Now, I want that to sink in for a little bit. Do you know what's going on in this world today? Surely you do. Now, we don't know all the details. We don't know all the reasons. We don't know all the controlling factors of it. But surely we know. But he is here in this poem or in this beautiful song. Uh, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Hate is strong and mocks the song. Now, for the next few moments, I'm going to remind you, now I know you know some of it, but I'm going to remind you of some of the things that are going on. And some things, I'm not a big person that watches the news much. I go online some and look at it, but I know and you know there's a lot of tragedy going on in this world. And there's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of, that mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. As Longfellow stated in this hymn in 1863. I'm going to remind you and go all the way back to 9-11. Just think about it for a moment. I want us to ponder some of these tragic things. Ugly as they are. But do you remember where you were on 9-11 when you found out the tragedy that was going on in New York and in Washington, D.C. and then in a field in Pennsylvania where a bunch of brave people crashed a plane in order to save others but the thousands that were killed. The horrible scenes that all of us have seen on t TV. And sometimes, yes, I get tired of them because they're played over and over and over. But at the same time, 
this is part of the tragedy of our world. And also, what about October 7th? Just recently. Do you remember what happened on October 7th? A bunch of people brutally invaded Israel and kidnapped and killed and abused and laughed over 1,200 people in just a couple of hours. And we had to witness it. And it was it again, and it has led into this terrible war, the Israeli-Hamas war. Do you watch the news? Sometimes I don't because it hurts my heart. It hurts what I know human beings need to be doing, need to be loving and unified and seeking the Lord. And here you have people right there in the same region where Jesus Christ walked 2,000 years ago. And there's this horrible war going on between the Jews and the Arabs, the Israelis and the Hamas. And who knows where it's all going to go. And that's part of what we have to keep thinking about. We know where we're going to go, ultimately. We know who we trust. But where is the world going to go? And yes, all of this hatred and all of this difficulty, it mocks the song. It mocks the idea of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, I want to share one other thing. Well, a couple of other things. But I just, maybe two days ago, and I, I don't believe in coincidences, so I have to believe that the Lord wanted me to say some of this to you, and I don't know if you know anything about this. But I read an article online about Christians in Nigeria. Have you read that? Have you seen some of that? Again, it is the difficulty between Muslims, Islam, and the Christian king kingdom. And apparently... There have been some really fine missionaries, and there's still many of them are still there, that have gone to Africa. And I think about our brother Scott sitting here, who spent six years in, on the mission field in that region. And now, because there are many Christians there, as a result of God's love, and they have accepted and stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, these folks in Nigeria particularly are being killed in massacres, particularly at Christmas time. They even call them Christmas attacks. Now, just recently, and this is a, a large number, but 200 Christians were massacred in Nigeria in their Christmas attacks. But... One of the figures that I read was, if you go back to 2009, they calculate or estimate or verify that 
29,000 from 2009 until the present day have been killed in Nigeria. Now, I just want us to think about that. This article that I read quoted several people who were very concerned, who were working to do something about this. But they said that even in the government there, that the government and the authorities and the police and the military were in association with the attackers. And that when these Christmas attacks started this past Christmas season, it took 12 hours for anybody to come and help. Because the authorities were in favor of the massacres. Now, you want to talk about tragedies? Now, I have to say this to you and me, but you and I sit here in absolute safety and security. And I'm thankful for that. I'm, I have trouble talking about all this, but I'm thankful that you and I are safe right now. I don't know what's coming, but right now we're safe. We don't have to worry about somebody busting through those doors back there with a machine gun. And I pray never. However, we're talking about Christian people. Yeah, it's on the other side of the world. It's other ethnics and racial issues. Yes, but that's not the matter. These are brothers and sisters. You understand that? These are brothers and sisters. Why? Because we are a part of the Christian family. They are. We are. It is an international process. It's not just right here in beautiful Virginia Beach and King's Grant. We're talking about something that is worldwide. And we're talking about Christian brothers and sisters that are being slaughtered. And that has just broken my heart. I read this article and one fellow who was doing a positive report on it, a, a compassionate report, said that he had made a, met a pastor who already this pastor had two churches burned to the ground and that everybody was telling this pastor to leave the area for fear of his own life and the pastor was saying, no, I will not. Hallelujah. No, I will not leave. And the person doing the interview said in the article that this person refuses to leave, the pastor refuses to leave because of his love for God and love for the people and that it probably would cost him, the pastor, his life. Now I want you to think about that. Are you doing anything that would cost you your life today? I'm not. And sometimes I regret that deeply. But I, part of why I felt led to, to, to do this is because we are to pray, we are to know, we are to be aware, we are to see. And not just today or not just this afternoon, but continually. Because our world is going through this kind of difficulty. Massacres, 9-11, Israeli Hamas, Nigeria. And I'm going to mention one other thing, and this is, I'm sort of stretching it a bit here. 
But there's another massacre going on right now in our world. And it goes on for years. And unfortunately, it goes on right here in this country. Millions have been killed. It's called abortion. It's called abortion. Now, y'all joke Mickey and me a little bit, playfully, and we appreciate it and we love that, that we got so many kids around us. And yeah, we got a whole crowd. And that gets more all the time. We had a wonderful little girl born on the 21st of December to our oldest granddaughter. And we've been with the family and we've seen this beautiful little girl. I mean, she's about that big. I'm sorry there is no place in me, no darkest corner of my thoughts or spirit of life that can wrap my head around taking the life of one of these little children. Amen. Yes, amen. And I know the blessings that you have had and that I've had. Now, there may be somebody in here who has had abortions, and I'm so sorry there's no condemnation in my statements because if you're here, then that means that you're seeking the Lord. I told you a story one time, and I'll tell you real quickly again. I had a client, a young 25-year-old that saw me years ago. This was probably... 30, 35 years ago. And she had become a Christian. And she was sitting in front of me. And she was racked with guilt and the horror of her promiscuous behavior as a young adult and as a teenager. And the fact that she had been pregnant twice and that she had ended both of those pregnancies through abortion. But now she was forgiven. Hallelujah. And so forgiveness for even these horrors is still through the love of Jesus Christ. And this young lady sat in front of me just terrified that God would never... Now she had become a Christian in her church. Her pastor sent her, to, sent her to me for counseling. And this was a young lady. I've said this, and I love this story, because in the midst of our counseling... I realized that I needed to say to this young lady the scripture from 2 Corinthians 5.17. And if you don't know it, go home and look it up. But it says that anyone that is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. A new creation. You, me, this young lady, anybody. And I looked at the young lady in a counseling session one time. And I said to her with profound and with prayer in my heart, I looked at her and I said, you are a virgin. She thought I'd lost my mind. Mm -hmm. But that's what Scripture said, right? So abortion, but it, it still agonizes me that it's all over our country. So that, and like I said, this is a little bit of a stretch because it's not Muslims killing Christians or Israelis and Hamas, but it's another part of the tragedy that's going on in our world. 
And so I ask you, please, please pray or be proactive. Do whatever you can. And the main thing that you can do is to share Jesus Christ with other people and let them know that there's love in this world and that there is rightness in this world, even the the horrible fact of what we live in in the midst of all of this. And so, yeah, I don't like saying all these things. It's not fun. But I'm saying them with great emphasis because I know the Lord wants me to think about them and pray about them and be in tune with it. And I know the Lord wants me to say what I'm saying to you right now because as we come to this beautiful song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. There is hope and there is peace in the fact of Jesus Christ, in forgiveness, in redemption, in the fact that God is in charge. And now I'm going to have the privilege of reading a couple of scriptures that indicates that, along with the verse that Longfellow wrote, because after he had bowed his head in despair. Then he says, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. You know what I think that means? Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. I think that means that then the Christians and the godly people spoke up. They celebrated, even in the midst of the tragedy. They celebrated the truth that Almighty God is real and in charge and redemptive and forgiving. He says, Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead. Now let's just let that sit for a minute. That's a fact. And that's part of why we're here today. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. Now, Does God sleep in the midst of all of this that I've just said? All of this tragedy, all of this, excuse me, but hell that goes on all around us? No, God does not sleep. God is active. God is alive. God is real. God is powerful. And I want to read this wonderful scripture. And when you're struggling, please go to Psalm 121. Because it is a statement of God's power and His love and His protection. Because it says in Psalms 21, I lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. That means sleep, folks. He will not sleep. He will not take a nap. He will not rest in the midst of this misery that is going on. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel, and Israel can be translated then to the Christian kingdom. It is God's people. He chose Israel, and they're still chosen. And he chose you and me as Christian men and women. And we are chosen by God. And it says that he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. 
the Lord watches over you. The Lord is a shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Now just let that sink in for a moment. Because the Lord will watch over you. Now I don't know how it's all going to go, folks. I don't know all the answers. I do know that it's going downhill. Now, I hope you don't have a, well, the government will work it out or mankind will find a way to peace or, no, I'm sorry. That's just not so. And I'm now going to read you something that's not real pretty that Jesus said. If you've ever studied Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is a real powerful statement from Jesus himself. He's speaking to his disciples. They've asked him about the end of times. Now I'm not going to do a big sermon on the end of times right now. But I just want you to, to hear both the difficulties that are here and are coming, along with the truth, the main hopeful truth of Jesus Christ coming back to this, to this earth. It says in Matthew 24, verse 6, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and the kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the birth pangs. For then there will be a great distress as a part of the birth pangs. Unequal from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days were shortened. Now, remember this is Jesus Christ saying. He's saying that there's going to be catastrophic events that take place as we move toward his return. Now, you may not like to hear that. I don't like to hear that. I'm not a pessimist. I'm not a fatalist. I'm not somebody that says, oh my goodness, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Why? Because in the midst of all this tragedy that we're talking about, Jesus Christ is real and he's coming back. And this is what it says. He says, he goes on still in Matthew 24. He says, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the earth. 
Now there's your gathering, folks. There's Jesus Christ coming back into this world. And he says, remember, this is Jesus Christ speaking, Matthew 24. He says, I'm going to, at the trumpet call, send my angels and there's going to be a gathering of my people. Now that's you and me. But he's also said it's going to be very difficult times before then. But the hope is that he is coming back. And the fact is, is that he is coming back. And you can go to other uh, passages of Scripture and see that Jesus Christ is coming back to redeem, to restore, if you would, to change the tragedy and the darkness of this broken world in which we live. Now, there's the hope. And I want you to think about that because I'm thinking about that. Not only am I thinking about that, but I believe absolutely that that is a fact. I will say it even stronger. I know that that is a fact. Now, how do I know? Because I trust what Almighty God says to you and me. He says it in Scripture. He says it in our impressions. He says it in your commitment to Him and the commitment to His church and commitment to His kingdom. He says that there is hope. And it's all through here. Now, a Christmas passage that says that He is the author of peace. And this is in Micah chapter 5. Verses 1 through 5. It says, Marsha troops now, the city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, now here's the statement. Here's what comes. Here's what we've been celebrating in Christmas. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Let's go on with the next slide. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she is in labor, bears a son. Now, Israel, listen. God has not forget, forgotten Israel. No way. You and I are adopted sons and daughters. Hallelujah. But Israel was there first. Now they don't know. We heard from Dr. Sadaka when he was here just a couple of weeks ago that in this whole region that there are many, 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 many Jewish people and only a small, I mean a minute portion of those thousands of Jewish people in the Tidewater area do they know Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But I will say again, God has not forgotten them. God has not dismissed them. That is something that the church unfortunately used to believe, but that is not true. We are brothers and sisters with these Jewish people. And when Jesus comes back, you're going to be there and I'm going to be there and there are going to be a whole raft of Jewish folks there. 
And so I hope you can accept that because that's part of what it's saying here that until the time when she is in labor, she bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites, the joining of all of God's people. He will stand and shepherd his flock. Now, who is the he? Jesus Christ. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they will live securely for then is the greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he, this is the phrase I want you to pay close attention to, he will be our peace. Now we're going to stop it right there. He will be our peace. Now that's where the peace comes from. That's the only place it comes from. Now, that's what I've said to you before, and in the midst of all of this tragedy and all of this that we're talking about, you have Jesus Christ in your life. Now, there are two places of where peace is needed, and one is in your life and one is in this world. One is in your life and one is in this world. And the only author of peace in both of those places is Jesus Christ. And I trust that everybody here is seeking that 100%. Now, He is our peace. I've said it. I will say it again. And I'm going to remind you of those two powerful statements that I've used so many times. But we must. Because Jesus Himself said, the night before he was crucified, twice. He said, I'm going to give you a parting gift. And this parting gift is my peace. And this world, you can't find this peace anyplace else. He said that. said, this world knows nothing about this peace. But with my peace, you can banish your fears. That's John 14, 27. And right there, Jesus said that he himself, not circumstances, not the environment, not the government, not society, not any place else, but that he, Jesus Christ, is our peace. And then, maybe a little more emphatically in John sixteen thirty three. He's been telling his disciples some very difficult things about life and about him going away and what they're going to go through. As I've been telling you some very difficult things about the world in which we live. But Jesus said in Matthew 16:33, excuse me, John 16:33. He said to his disciples and he says to you and me. He said, "In me you can find peace." Now, I'm going to let that soak in a little bit because that's Jesus speaking to you and me about the reality of where peace is going to come from. Peace is going to come from Him in you and in the world. Those two major places where peace must be. Jesus said, In me you can find peace, but in this world 
You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. Still Matthew 16, John 16, 33. In this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? Now, please, thank you for allowing me to say these things. I believe, I know, that as mature Christian men and women, which I believe and I trust everybody is, we are supposed to say these things and know these things and think about these things. Not not to the point of depression. That's why we sang this hymn. That's why Longfellow wrote this poem. Because he was depressed. He was overcome with the tragedies of the Civil War and his family and his wife being burned to death and his son almost paralyzed. But he wrote this poem, this powerful statement, declaring the truth that God is not dead and that we as godly people can celebrate through Jesus Christ the peace that He gives. Now, one final word before I pray. And we sing a a beautiful chorus.